Well, good morning. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is John Sherrill. I'm also a pastor here at Fifth, and it's great to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, we started a, a series for the fall last Sunday called Against the Tide, and we'll read uh, the passage for today in a couple minutes, but I, I wanted to just uh, say a couple things about the series again, just to reframe that for us and uh, get, get us thinking in the same direction before we hear the scripture. Uh, very quickly, the Gospel of Mark in the Bible is largely understood to have been based on the witness of the Apostle Peter to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in the series we're doing this fall, we're looking at the letter of First Peter. So it follows if the Gospel of Mark was Peter's testimony about Jesus, this letter of First Peter is his first attempt to explain that for us. What does that mean? Uh, Peter was writing to the churches of Asia Minor, which is what we know as modern-day Turkey. Back in the, in the ancient world, that was a very important piece of land as it was the bridge between Europe and, and Asia. So it was a kind of crossroads of culture. All of the churches back in, uh, in Asia Minor were in Roman provinces, so the Roman culture was the prevailing culture. Now, back in Old Testament times, God's people lived all together in a nation, a covenant nation, and they lived as a gathered people. And if, if you know the, the Bible at all, they were instructed not to intermarry with other cultures around, largely to kind of preserve their cultures and their values and to be, to be the people God intended them to be, a blessing to the world. So they were instructed not to be deluded in that way. But with uh, the New Testament, with the coming of Jesus, and specifically uh, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit at that Pentecost long ago when all the believers in, in Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit, God's people have been a scattered people, a scattered covenant people around the world. And, and my understanding is that this is all by God's design, right? So that God's people empowered by his spirit have been scattered throughout the world for the purpose of, of blessing the world and, and bearing witness to Jesus. But there are challenges when you live as a scattered people because you're scattered living in different cultures all around the world. And Christians have been grappling with this really ever since the time of Jesus. And we're called as followers of Jesus to be in the world but not of the world, right? That's kind of the classic saying. But we wrestle with how to do that. What does that actually mean? What does that mean tomorrow morning? What does that mean on Wednesday afternoon? Right, what does that actually look like in real life? In writing 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter addresses this tension between faith and culture and coaches the congregations of the early church on how to live against the tide of the prevailing culture while not retreating from it. Because those are the ditches on each side of the road, right? That we get so enculturated we just adopt the values of the culture that really our faith gets diluted and we look more like the world than the church we're called to be. Or the other side, we separate from the culture. We don't engage it at all for the sake of remaining pure uh, uh, from it, remaining untainted. So those are the ditches on either side of the road. And that gets to one more quick thing before we dive in. This whole series is talking about how the claims of Jesus intersect with or maybe our intention with culture. So we've got to think about what culture is really quick. And uh, in, in his now classic book, Christ and Culture, Richard Niebuhr has a definition. It gets a little heady, but hang with me because this is an important conversation. Culture is the artificial secondary environment 
which man superimposes on the natural. It comprises language, habits, ideas, beliefs, customs, social organization, inherited artifacts, technical processes, and values. This social heritage, which, is, uh, which the New Testament writers frequently had in mind when they spoke of the world, is what we mean when we speak of culture. So culture is the social heritage of a group of people that carries with it values and assumptions about what is true and thus proposes a particular view of the world. Now hang with me. whole point there is when you live among a group of people, they're making assumptions about what's going on in life in the world. And those assumptions carry with it a, a subtle voice of authority that isn't asking questions about what's going on in the world, it's making statements. This is what's going on in the world. That's what we're talking about when we talk about culture. And, and remember, in the New Testament, uh, there are three great enemies of faith, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So largely, when the Bible talks about the world, it's talking about this kind of authoritative voice that's uh, outside of what Jesus has done for us. So that's, that's culture. So, with that understanding, we can see that at times, our faith will require us to live against the tide of culture rather than with the flow of culture. So, last week, we saw that the first step in living against the tide was remembering who we are. It's the identity piece. Remember whose you are, that we belong to God. We're children of God. We've been forgiven in Christ. We're free. And, And in this passage, we'll read in just a moment, Peter turns from identity to activity, What is it that we're to do after we remember who we are in Jesus? What are the initial steps after that? Because in Christian life, identity always precedes activity. It's grace first. Even our faith is something that God has given us. And from there, we learn how to live in the world. So let's listen to how Peter coached the the churches of uh, his early day. Let's listen to the scripture. Joy. 1 Peter 1, verse 13 through 2, verse 3. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For 
All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Joey. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to meet Joey Tuttle, Joey was our, on our staff full-time this past summer as a Jubilee Fellow from Calvin University. Uh, and I'm glad to say we get to hang on to him. He's going to be doing some preaching out at our Woodland Drive-In campus uh, this fall. So we have appreciated Joey and appreciate you helping too. So let's just kind of break this down verse by verse, shall we? Uh, verse 13 Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. You know, whenever something in the Bible starts with a therefore, you have to look at what came just before. The therefore in this case links back to the identity conversation of last week. Now that you're clear on who you are in Jesus, now that you've remembered that you belong to God and nothing can ever change that. Now that you have your identity straight, now that you know you are in Christ, you know whose you are, remembering that you've been chosen, that you have new birth into a living hope with an inheritance that is certain. Therefore, with minds fully alert to these great truths and sobered by them, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That's the first action to take after remembering who we are in Jesus. Set your hope on the grace to come. Uh, and anybody see, I don't think it's a thing anymore. Anybody remember that show, Man vs. Wild? Actually, I don't watch a lot of, is that still a thing? Are there new, new episodes of that? Do you know? Not really, it's kind of old now. But it was, it, if you didn't see it, there's this former British special operations soldier named Bear Grylls. He was with the Special Air Service in the UK. And he was like their master survivalist guy. And the whole show is premised around Bear taking some survivalist expert uh, to some place in the world where the, pers the person doesn't know where they're going to be dropped off. And they just drop them off in some extreme environment somewhere in the world. And the person has to make it home. They got to find their way out of this extreme situation. So the, the first step in, in the show, when they drop the person, person off, the first step is always figure out where you are. Like, where, where am I? I mean, you're dropped into a foreign place. It's important to get your bearings, to know which way you're facing, to kind of set your compass uh, so you can have some orientation and begin to tell which way is which. Right? The Christian's spiritual compass does not point north. The Christian's spiritual compass points toward the grace to be brought to us when Jesus is revealed at his return. That grace is our orienting reality, says Peter. We set our hope on Christ's return and all the prom promises that accompany it. So we're tracking with Peter's logic through the whole letter now. First, 
living against the tide, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Identity first. Then the next step, set your hope. Meaning, remember what's going to happen ultimately. Where this whole thing called life, this whole world that we know is heading. Very important in living against the tide of culture. First, we remember whose we are. Then we reorient ourselves in this foreign place to the certainty that Jesus will return and will fulfill everything that he has promised. That's not just a religious idea that we kick around in church every once in a while. Jesus said that he would come back and do exactly what he said he would do. So after remembering our identity, the next thing we do to live as foreigners in a strange land is to set our hope locked in. He's coming back, and that'll be really, really good for his followers. The next is verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now there's a negative and and positive side to this. You can see it. The, The negative, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You know, don't don't conform. Don't let your life be shaped by the the over-desiring that sin causes because that's really what sin is, right? It's taking something good and over-amplifying it the vast majority of the time. Don't conform to what the world says is okay. That word for evil desires is a very interesting one. It was used by uh, all the Greco-Roman philosophers in the ancient world to, to refer to a common experience to human beings. And that is that every once in a while, we ec- experience this kind of insatiable desire for something. Like, I've got to have it, I've got to have it now. I, I'm so focused on i got to have that. And interestingly, that kind of desire in, in the ancient writing was almost universally condemned. Now, by non-biblical moral philosophers, right? It's like everyone who sat down to really think about life and observe what we experience as human beings, observe these moments of of over-amplified desire. And everybody agreed that to pursue that, to chase after that, would be a bad thing. Because time and time again, we've seen it. When we do that, we shipwreck our lives. So that's what the phrase evil desires actually means. And everyone realized that if we pursue these things fully, it would not be good. That would be be ignorant. You wouldn't be aware of the realities of life. Now, the Hebrew understanding of ignorance involved more than just lack of information. For Hebrew people, ignorance meant a failure to grasp the character and purpose of God. So it's more than just information. It meant not getting that in this world there's really a God. Uh, Kind of missing the reality that even though it's a cloudy day today, there's the basic argument. If you want to know something about God, just walk outside and look up. Look at a tree. Look at the person sitting next to you. I mean, really, 
How is all of this here? So for Hebrews, ignorance was a failure to grasp the character and purpose of God. Therefore, we could kind of, in our own words, rework the verse. Do not conform to the the evil desires, the insatiable desires you had when you failed to grasp the character and purpose of God. Don't, Don't live by those things. Rather, be holy. That doesn't mean like try to be better than everybody else holier than thou, that's a wrong understanding of the biblical word holy. The biblical word holy means simply set apart for special use. It doesn't mean better than. To be holy is to be distinct from a culture opposed to God, to be different, to be set apart for God, for the world, not against the world, because God loves everybody everywhere and wants everybody to come back to Jesus. So it's not set apart for God and against the world. It's set apart for God and for the world. Listen to what Dr. Bill Brownson said about holiness. Dr. Brownson is a long-term RCA pastor, a mentor of mine. He preceded Dave Bast at Words of Hope as the president and broadcast minister. And he wrote a great little book on First Peter called Tried by Fire. Here's what Dr. Brownson said. For us... To be holy means to be set apart for God and for his purposes in the world. It means belonging especially to him, becoming more and more like him, dealing with the world around us as he has dealt with us in Christ. You shall be holy for I am holy. This is his command and also his promise. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he's working in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. We, in turn, are to make that likeness to the Savior the end of all our striving. Is he the seeker of lost sheep? Then so must we be shepherds. Is he the faithful witness to the truth about God? Then we must bear our testimony too. Does he spend himself that people may have life and have it abundantly? then so must we in his name. That's what it means to be holy. But, but living against the tide of culture is hard because the undertow is strong. Peter says, don't conform to the evil desires. Be distinct, be different, be holy, be set apart. We do well to remember Paul's command in Romans. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We might say, okay, well, how do you renew your mind? We could understand the points that Peter is making in his letter here as action steps for the renewing of our minds. Remember whose you are. Set your hope on the grace to come. Be holy. Be set apart from the culture for God and for people. Peter's next instruction gives us a a way to kind of imagine our lives. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time here uh, as foreigners in reverent fear. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fears, strangers in a foreign land. It's very important to think about what the Bible is getting at here. The call is to be holy, 
to live as strangers in a foreign land. But the call is not to withdraw from the culture and hide in a holy huddle. It's to engage it, to be in the mix with people, uh, to be in the world, but not of the world again, right? I, I mentioned this last week, but we even see this in uh, Judaism during Jesus' day. There were four sects, uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and the Essenes. And they all engaged the culture around them in, in different ways. Specifically, let's look at the last three, the Zealots, the Essenes, and the, and the Sadducees. The Zealots were the military uh, folks, right? They, they resisted the culture um, and, and engaged in, 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 that, in that day, actual combat violence against the Roman government because the Roman government, the Roman culture was the, the prevailing culture of the day. So their basic idea was to resist and overthrow the current culture with power. Power up militarily. Power up with words. Just let's take this culture down. That was their thing. That was their engagement. Then there were the Essenes. The, the Dead Sea Scrolls came from the Essenes, a library at the, the city they built down by the Dead Sea. These were the separatists. These were the folks who who moved out of town, out into the wilderness, built their own thing, and, and lived in a little holy huddle, a cloistered community. Theirs was a holiness of separation, thinking that if we just completely avoid the culture, we won't be tainted by it. And then the Sadducees, the priestly class, the ones who ruled the temple, they got cozy with the power structures of the Roman Empire for the purpose of maintaining political power, societal position, and financial wealth. They accommodated, right? They just got in line with the culture of the day and accommodated their faith to what was going on. So those seem to be the three options for followers of Jesus in our day, right? How do we engage culture? Fight against it violently? Power up? Less with military in these days, more with words probably. Power up to take it down? Is that the model? Withdraw from it completely? So we're not tainted by it? Is is that the model? accommodate it fully, say, hey, no big, I believe in Jesus, I'm just going with the flow. See, Peter offers a different way. Faithfully following Jesus involves a different way. Biblical holiness is a holiness of engagement with people who live in this culture that's trying to tell them who they are, but it's lying to them. It's lying to us. See, we're we're called to be salt and light, to bless the world, to be for the world. We resist conforming to the ways of the world and we remember people are not the enemy. Our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. We participate in culture but don't accommodate it. Thus Peter's proposal for how we might imagine our lives as foreigners living in a strange land. You gotta go here in your mind Right? We, we at Fifth Reformed Church here uh, gladly over the last few years through some great leadership have developed a significant ministry to refugees, people being resettled to the United States for a variety of reasons, mostly because their homelands are no longer safe for them. We, we have a lot to learn from these friends about what it's like to live as a foreigner in a strange land. And spiritually, every follower of Jesus is a refugee of God's kingdom 
living in a land of turmoil and brokenness, living in a foreign land. Right? So it's, it's helpful, says Peter, to reimagine our lives, to think of ourselves as foreigners in this world, living with our true home in mind and our hope set on the grace to come. Remember what Paul said to the Philippians, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter and Paul are saying the same thing. We're eagerly awaiting a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Set your hope on the grace to be revealed to you when Jesus returns. So to live against the tide of culture, we remember whose we are. After that, we're instructed to set our hope on the grace to come, to be holy, to be set apart, to be distinct, and then to live as foreigners here with our true citizenship in mind always. And, and Peter finally appeals to the why. Why do we do this again? Why should we do this again? For, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart for you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Peter holds out the atonement as our rationale for living against the tide of culture. For you know what Jesus has done for you. In short, remember the gospel. If you're in Christ, the perfectly validating performance record of Jesus has been applied to you. You have been declared by God, by God's grace and through faith in Jesus, to be perfect before God. Been redeemed, meaning bought back at a price from something, an empty way of life, by God. Through God's incredible act of kindness and grace on the cross, Jesus laid down his perfect life to purchase back our broken lives. If you're in Christ, you've been born again. Again, not just a religious idea. This has to go from up here to right here. New life for real in Jesus. An imperishable, eternal kind of life available to us right now that will never fail. By what means have we entered this new birth? You ask, the text tells us, says Peter, through the living and enduring word of God. Through God's word, through what God did. See, we've been liberated from our former way of life, freed and redeemed from an empty way of life, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. 
See, we live by faith in this Jesus as strangers in a land that does not know him for the good of all people everywhere that all might know the grace God is extending to them and the life God is offering them. And if you haven't tasted that, God really is extending you grace and life right now in Christ. The offer stands open. Our part is not to pray some magical prayer that makes it happen. Our part is simply to humble ourselves, to turn to God, and to say yes to as much of Jesus as we understand right now, and to ask God to help us. That's the first step in actively following Jesus. Make the turn. If you haven't, I invite you that, to that today. That, that's the invitation that stands open to all of us in this world today. We live by faith in Jesus as strangers in a land that does not know him for the good of all people everywhere that all might know the grace God is extending to us and the life God is offering us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you for the great truths of the gospel. Thank you that you lived and died and rose again, that you're alive right now, that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened, that you love people, that you're for us, not against us, that you've done everything you've done to show us the depth of your love, your great desire for us to come home to you and and be forgiven and free. So God, help us. Whatever barriers exist in our lives, perceived barriers to turning to you. Please help us. Help us not buy into the lies that are keeping us stuck, but help us turn. God, thank you that you continue to invite us. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that your patience is intended for our salvation. Help us, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.